Brought to you by Make Fun Network. Disclaimer. Please do not email us about the historical inaccuracies we are sure to make. We are not historians. We are idiots. Anachronismo. I'm Max. I'm Jackie. And Noel is not joining us today because he forgot that he had a show scheduled for tonight. So he is off performing, doing his thing, jumping around, giggling, making puns, Mm -hmm. making fun joke, jokey jokes, all sorts of good stuff. And we're here doing the work. Serious work. Because Noel double booked himself for, triple booked himself tonight. Well, you know, uh, I've done that. You know, I, I can't, can't, I can't be, I can't say that sounds like Noel because that sounds like myself. You know, <laughs> but I was surprised by it because he, someone from work is leaving, so there's a going away party. So mm-hmm. he's like, I'm going to do my improv show and then come back for the going away party. Going away party is going to be going from four or five to whatever after that improv show is, so like ten, eleven. They must really love that's this a long dude. Going that away is party. That's a huge going away party. So, what are we talking about tonight, Jackie? Ooh, today I'm talking about the Transcontinental Railroad. And I will be talking about Ferguson's Gang and the National Trust in England. Hmm. Very fun. I'm intrigued. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. I feel uh, like a trust is a business term. Uh, the National Trust? Yeah. No, it's um, yeah. his English like Historical Society for Preservation of like Historic Buildings and Landmarks and things. Ah. Yeah, so not that. Oh, yeah. darn. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe uh, good. I and, would have trailed off if it was about, about banks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, something about money, whatever. So the Transcontinental Railroad. Mm-hmm. That is, of course, the railroad across the United States, which has now fallen into defunctitude because we don't fund trains. And Amtrak wants to pour all its money into the one part where it doesn't have to offload the freight trains, the Boston-New York corridor. I have a lot of I, – I care a lot about trains. I I enjoyed yeah. trains. But the Transcontinental Railroad was once great. It was, yeah. And that's what you're talking about today. It is. It is. And actually, current Highway 80 f- follows the uh, the path of the Transcontinental Railroad. So, if nothing else, they picked a relatively flat pathway to take that mm-hmm. we're still benefiting from. Hooray! Hooray! <laughs> Fat, flat path. <laughs> Fat paths. Mm, Fat get path. all the cars down that path. <laughs> so railroads were an innovative transportation development mm-hmm. in the 1800s. And by 1832, people were so excited about the um, westward expansion. And they were like, you know, it would be great if we could connect east and west. And it took a lot of lobbying and such to get permission and money from the federal government to do sort of route scouting, essentially. So they sent out people to go um, on expeditions to chart potential pathways from east to west. Route scouts. Uh, Route scouts. It's fun to say. It is. Route scouts. And these route scouts reports had really interesting data, like super, super interesting stuff, all about the animals, the plants, all kinds of stuff. But they did forget to keep track of topography. (laughs) 
that's the most important part <laughs> of the job. I know. Oh, we man, need some let me fat, tell you. flat paths. Uh, fat, flat paths. But what they what they wrote back about were tortoises and cacti. <laughs> oh, man, they found some great flora and fauna. Let me tell you about these majestic redwoods. How high up were the redwoods? Couldn't tell you. <laughs> Oh, man, this incredible mountain-climbing species of mushroom makes this wonderful phosphorescent glow at night. How high did they grow? I don't know. (laughs) Can a train get through this this valley? Oh, it seemed pretty wide. Oh, my God. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, this is... So I don't mm. don't think they didn't track it at all, but I think they didn't do it in a reliable or consistent manner that it would be easy to say, like, oh, following this general northward trend would mm-hmm. be easier would mm-hmm. be easier than the general south path or something like that so so that added some delays <laughs> <laughs> to the transcontinental railroad no clearly clearly mm-hmm. so in the 1850s also there was gold was where was the gold jackie in california what part of california oh i don't was know. there some kind of uh, topographical uh feature that the gold was in the, the ground what what part of the ground uh, under under the ground uh, yeah. was it in and like uh in something mountains, Mount, mountains? What, was it mountains i don't know was I don't it know over there was it, was it them thar hills <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yep it was them thar hills. <laughs> <laughs> it's where the gold was i thought you were leading me to a helpful thing <laughs> <laughs> jackie how long have you known me <laughs> I thought there was maybe a specific mountain that yeah, it was Themnar first, Hills. first discovered in Sutter's or Mill. No, that's not the first place. No, it's Themnar Hills, Jackie. <laughs> that's where it's discovered. So that was just another reason why people wanted to get to the West faster. So currently, sorry, at that time, not currently, mm-hmm. currently there were um, three main routes for how you could get to the West. You could go overland mm-hmm. in a wagon of some kind, yeah. and that would take long time as, as the oregon trail taught us you mm-hmm. know you dive dysentery you get flooded away you get to shoot a lot of buffalo you know and, and use hardly any of their meat but oh they're so easy to kill <laughs> biggest targets wait that's the mistake max what we did that too much and now there are very few buffalo i don't know there's a lot of buffalo wild wings around where are they getting the buffalo where's the buffalo wings coming it's from chicken max it's chicken mm-hmm. i don't think they can just call them whatever they want jackie <laughs> So overland. Overland. Next was undersea in a submarine. <laughs> um, that's that's the unspoken fourth yeah. one for the rich people. Mm-hmm. But the other route was by boat, and you would go around um, Cape Horn, around South America. That is a roundabout trip. That's a long ways. It's a long ways. And the third option was to go through Panama. But that was risky also because when you were traversing across Panama, it was very likely that you would get yellow fever or some mm. other disease yeah. and potentially die. Yeah. So none of these options are great. They're also pretty expensive. It would cost around, I think, $1,000. And um, it would take up to six months. And that was $1,000 in uh, then money, not now money. money. Yeah. yeah. So Nowadays, it costs $1,000 just to move from one end of Boston to the other. <laughs> ah, just yeah. to move from one end of Boston to the other. So railroads, Golden Demnar Hills, very expensive to get across. Very expensive. Yeah. So anyway, we're we're just in a, a time period that is ripe for finding a better way to connect the East Coast from the West Coast. And trains are super popular at mm-hmm. this time. The East Coast and the Midwest are just lousy with trains at this point. Mm-hmm. And they're just really, really great. Mm. Really great. Really great trains, yeah. Yeah. Steam-powered, coal-powered, all sorts of trains. Mm-hmm. 
But interestingly, the North and the South did not agree on the distance between the the two tracks, you know? Mm-hmm. The so gauge they, of the rails, yeah. The gauge of the rails. So, oh, there was so they couldn't some... connect them up. <laughs> oh, just like we have in Boston today. Really? Yeah, all of our different rail lines use different gauge tracks. So we can't use the cars from one rail line on another rail line. Do you mean like orange to red or like, like orange to, to red. red? Orange to red or uh, red to green. Can't do it. Yeah, but I mean, the green is a trolley. But we can't like connect the red and orange lines up, for example. That seems silly. Yes. It's a it's a historical artifact of uh, bad design. <laughs> Not like something fun is the reason. It's no, just bad. No, it's just, it's just bad design. Just bad. Yeah. So... They had different gauges, different widths between the tracks from north and south. That's just a, a fun fact. Okay. For the Transcontinental Railroad, they ended up going with the um, the gauge that the north used because they actually started work on the railroads right around the end of the Civil War. Sure. The federal government did the, what was it called? The Pacific Railroad Act, I want to say, was the name of the legislation that actually put aside money for this mm-hmm. and like put in place the financial steps that you needed yeah. to. And the North had more uh, industry for building railroad tracks too, right? Like we had more steelworks up, mm-hmm. up North. Uh, I, there was, yeah, just, just a lot more uh, industrialization up North, which made it easier for uh, the production of tracks. So it makes sense they would go with the, the gauge that they were already producing up here. Yeah, and they also ultimately, the um, the Transcontinental Railroad, because there was already trains on the East Coast to the Midwest, they, they didn't start on the Atlantic and then go to the Pacific. They started at an already existing railroad terminus mm-hmm. in the Midwest. So they ultimately ended up picking the start to be Omaha mm-hmm. or... Um, Omaha, Nebraska. Omaha, Nebraska mm-hmm. was the start. Actually, it was like Cloud, Cloud, Cloud City, Nebraska. <laughs> up, up, up in the clouds. Oh, sorry, no, Council Bluff. Council, Council Bluff, Bluff, where no one ever plays poker without pretending to have a better hand than they do. <laughs> and because that was part of the North, it was just easier. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of contention around where the railroad should start. Mm-hmm. The first option was from St. Joseph, Missouri. And the second option was from Kansas City, Kansas, and the third one being Council Bluffs, Iowa, which is right near Omaha, Nebraska. It's like right on the border. So why'd they end up going with Council Bluffs instead of Kansas City? Well, it was because that had the shortest distance to Wyoming, and that mm. was kind of the the route that they had decided to take that they would go up through Wyoming. Um, it was also along a river, which mm. would encourage people to build settlements along the route of the railroad. Because you can drink water there and not die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then St. Joseph, Missouri was actually very close to where a lot of Civil War fighting was happening. So they were like, let's build a railroad not in a war zone. Yeah, that that makes sense. Mm -hmm. There is a book, I think, called Dreadnought by Sherry Priest, which is an alternate, like a steampunk Civil War novel. And it's about this giant, awful train that they (laughs) use, that that they're using in the Civil War. Giant, awful Civil War trains being just brought through people. I oh, through people. Like it was like a war train. A weapon. Yeah, like a weapon train. Did did the people wonder, like, maybe we shouldn't keep the army on the train tracks where the monster train comes? I believe that that was a solved problem in the book. <laughs> I only got a little way into it and then I was like, mm, I don't like this book that much. <laughs> Why are there tracks everywhere? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on a second. Our camp... We thought these were nice, nice straight lines to help us lay things up. These are train tracks. Everybody, everybody, pick up the tents. Everybody, run! 
and leave anything you need flattened. But run. <laughs> Put some pennies on the on the track. See if you can derail it. <laughs> Put a sweater on. We need it pressed. <laughs> so these three starting points were all part of the um, northern pathway, essentially. Mm. Before they had selected the northern pathway, they had a southern route that they were considering and a more central route. The southern one and the central one were pretty much discarded because they were like, well, the south seceded. We can make our Union Railroad wherever we want. And now it's in the north. (laughs) So the Civil War had a very big impact on, on the Transcontinental Railroad from where it was placed to who actually built it. A lot of people who were the workers on the Union Pacific Line were Civil War veterans or Irish immigrants, mm-hmm. while the Central Pacific, which was more on the western side of the Transcontinental Railroad, those were, they at first were white people. Mm-hmm. And then they were having trouble with worker retention because mm-hmm. the white people were like, hmm, I can either work on a dangerous railroad or try and find my fortune in gold in them thar hills. (laughs) So they had a lot of deserters. Um, And then they did a test crew Mm -hmm. of Chinese people Mm -hmm. and it worked out really nice. Mm -hmm. And then there were a lot of Chinese people who worked on the Central Pacific Railroad. So there was an interesting thing with a lot of Chinese immigrants for that. There were, I think, a good number of like Chinese slaves. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And worked on that railroad as well. Um, and man, a lot of a lot of racial slurs for Chinese people came from the railroad. Yeah. 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 yeah the Chinese part was kind of interest. Well, interesting in um, things can be truly morally bad and still be interesting. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so the the recruiting tactics was mm-hmm. were pretty interesting. They would send railroad representatives to China and like actively recruit people who were fleeing violence to come work on the railroad lines. Well, that's uh, that's morally questionable at best. Yeah. So I mean, the article I read didn't really have a. It didn't indicate if this was good or bad. Were they helping people escape you, violence? You could be helping people were escape they... violence, or you could be taking advantage of people who really you know need a way out and. Going by what I know about railroad barons, it's usually the latter. Yeah. 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 But go on. <laughs> but yeah, yes, yes. So, as I mentioned, the building of the railroads was started in two separate places. Mm-hmm. They started on the West Coast and they started in near Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah. So, the Union Pacific was the one that started in Nebraska mm-hmm. and the Central Pacific is the one that started on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. So, the one on the West Coast faced really... Very difficult physical land barriers. Mm -hmm. They had to go through the Sierra Nevada mountain range almost immediately. They only had like just a few miles before they were immediately like, well, now we need to tunnel through mountains, which put them at a little at a bit of a disadvantage because the way that the government had incentivized the railroads was that the railroad companies were paid in bonds for every mile of rail track that they built. So they took the twisty route. Yeah, they just took the route that took a really long time to get anywhere. So it it didn't quite even out, but the Union Pacific was set back because they were rebuilding the South at the end of the Civil War. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of competition on the East Coast for materials and laborers and financing. It was difficult to get financing, too, because there were so many infrastructure projects going on. Mm -hmm. So they actually had an 18-month delay in getting started. So it it didn't quite even out, but there were big physical barriers on the west and time barriers on the on the east. I almost said the right. 
The west and the right. <laughs> the right side of the country and the wrong side of the country. <laughs> but actually, the um, the Union Pacific Railroad, like you were saying, every railroad baron, is that what you said? Railroad yeah, baron? robber baron. Robber baron, railroad baron. The, no one was good. Yeah. No one No one was good. No, they were all pretty bad. The Union Pacific Railroad. In, in the immortal words of Blue's brother, uh, played by Dan Aykroyd, they're all pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very specific and great quote. <laughs> but they actually, because you got paid by track mile, they would specifically, I learned a new word today too, oxbow. Oxbow? Oxbow. They would specifically oxbow the track, which is to take long meandering turns. Mm. So they specifically made the track have to be longer than mm-hmm. the distance. So they worked for, I think it was three years, and they had only gone 40 miles from their starting location, though I'm sure the track distance was much longer. <laughs> <sighs> Robber barons. <laughs> but that's that's not really the, that's not the worst of it. What's the worst of it, Jackie? How does it get worse? Tell me. Tell me, Jackie. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Okay, I think I've hyped it a little too much. Jackie. But let me me just tell you the prices, the expected payment from the government in bonds for the track miles. So for every mile, the railroad company would get paid in 6,400 acres of land and $48,000. Wow. Mm -hmm. $48,000 that time money. That is over a million dollars of today's money. Or from the last date the Wikipedia article I read was updated money. Which I assume was give or take five years. Thereabouts. Give or take five years. Give or five take years five in the years. future. It was written five years mm-hmm. in the future. In the far off year of twenty twenty four. That's right. <laughs> when hedgehog men rule the earth with a prickly fist. What if in the future they could edit Wikipedia in the past? <laughs> I feel like they'd be sending us more warnings. Probably. <laughs> but if you read Wikipedia, <laughs> kind of there already. So that amount of money was for the most rough terrain. The money was kind of prorated on how bad your terrain was. Mm-hmm. If it was flat land, um, you would get paid $16,000. These are in bonds, too. So they're they're pretty much loans mm-hmm. that the railroad company is expected to pay back later. But they also are giving land grants. So they're expected to sell those land parcels to settlers and then make a profit that way. Um, and then for minorly hilly things, you got $32,000 per mile, which comes out to about um, $892,000 today. So it's still lots of money. Yeah, that's lots that's a good amount of dosh. Mm-hmm. It's mucha dinero. Mm-hmm. Buckets of ducats. So the railroad owners Wilders knew- of dollars. <laughs> They knew that it might take a little bit of time for their railroads, their railroads, dishes of dimes. (laughs) (laughs) The railroad owners knew that it might take some time for their railroads to become uh, profitable. Mm -hmm. So they set up shell companies owned by themselves or other investors so that their railroad company could contract with this shell company to do something like some sort of land preparation or a flattening before the tracks are actually laid so that they could then be paid in actual money that didn't need to get paid back and launder it mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and actually this led to one of the most notable scandals of the time the teapot dome scandal not the teapot dome it was the coffee pot coffee pot cube 
It was like a French word. It was even worse because they pretended this was a foreign company, so they named it something French. Oof. So it would be like less traceable, but it didn't. It didn't work out. The less scam. <laughs> it was called Credit Mobilier. Credit Mobilier. Mm-hmm. With the accent on the e in credit. Credit. Mm-hmm. So essentially, the railroad owners were just lining their pockets left and right through legal and not legal means. Sounds mostly not legal, or at the very least, entirely immoral. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So actually, there was a man named Judah. He was the lead engineer for the Central Pacific Railroad, and he played a really big role in lobbying Congress to actually set up the Pacific Railroad Act. And he had gotten into business with a few guys, five of them. They ended up being called the Big Four. I guess one of them was a little more minor than the others. He was shorter. (laughs) (laughs) And they were four businessmen who had no experience in railroads, construction, or engineering. And Judah had just been hard-pressed for money, but he had realized that they were going to be unscrupulous. So he decided that he was going to go back to the East Coast and try and find new investors to buy out the Big Four. But he unfortunately died of yellow fever, which he contracted in Panama while he was trying to get to the West Coast previously. Panama! So he actually, he died from the thing that this railroad was trying to help prevent. Yeah. Wow, that's... Which is very ironic. That is ironic. He died like a month after they put down the first stake, too. He, he got, at least he got to see the beginning. I mean, I guess. But I think he died on the East Coast. Uh, so so no, he, didn't he didn't even get to see it. Probably word didn't even reach him in time. Or if it did, he was delirious with fever. Well, there was already a telegraph line oh. going to the West Coast yeah. at this point. Okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe not that delirious with fever. Could be more delirious. Could be. Yeah. Could be. But that was just very sad. And he knew that they were unscrupulous and was trying to get new investors so he could buy them out. And he uh, died before that could happen. Mm. Which is sad. That is sad. And then the owner of the Union Pacific, his name was Dr. Durant. He was not moral either. And he had a hard time selling stock in his company at the beginning. So he actually fronted friends of his money so that they would buy stock for him. And then he illegally became a majority owner of the railroad company. So he could be the sole decision maker of all the things that he wanted it to do. And he also owned other railroads. So he would spread rumors about which railroads were going to be hooked up to the Union Pacific Railroad, because that one would obviously be more exciting if your railroad is attached to the railroad that's going all the way across the country. So he would put out a rumor that one of his railroads was going to do that so that people would buy all of those stock. And then he would buy a different railroad that was has now been shunned because it's not the one that's going to be connected. Pick it up for pennies on the Pick dollar. It up for pennies on the dollar. And then switch the rumors around and just get more money that way. What a dingus. Yeah. What a jerk. Yeah. Well, I hope he was happy with his millions of <laughs> railroad dollars. I mean, he made $5 million in Fuck. in that time period money. Jesus Christ. So, but he was directly involved in the credit mobilier scandal. Okay. Uh, so I think he did at least get publicly raked through the coals. I'm not sure if anyone... Well, I guess his money must have been cold comfort for all that public ridicule. <laughs> You're like, oh, I guess I can take the public ridicule if I have with a dollar bill. (laughs) (laughs) But the Transcontinental Railroad is actually where the phrase hell on wheels came from. Really? 
Yeah, specifically from the Union Pacific one. Which was driven by a devil. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just that they was would set up... fueled by sulfur. <laughs> they would set up little temporary towns, essentially, when they were working on a specific tr- segment of track. And those... Torture people to death in them. <laughs> It's a lot more mild than... What is it really? It was really just... It's just only like a little boom town would be there. Uh It would be full of alcohol, full of gambling, prostitution, gunfights, that sort of thing. Uh, A den of sin. A den of sin. So wherever they went, there would be hell there. Mm -hmm. And it was on wheels because it was on the railroad track. the railroad track. So I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah, that's that's fine, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I was really hoping for... Like, oh, evil trains. It's like a train just, like, eating someone. Oh, know? but then it would go through armies. Oh, yeah, it would go through armies. Yeah. So we couldn't get out of the way because they couldn't <laughs> figure out what these tracks were for. Oh, and also the um, the Union Pacific Railroad was also being attacked by Native Americans because, as you could imagine, the Native Americans were not pleased that railroads armed with by army men who were there to protect them were going through their territory. Yeah. So that was something else that also delayed the Union Pacific. Understandably so. Understandable. So it was really set up as a competition between the railroads since they're being paid by the track mile. And there also was no set meetup point. Mm-hmm. So it was it was just they were going to meet in the middle wherever they could, except they never were forced to agree on a meetup point. So they actually overshot each other by oh, several I knew miles. that's where this was going. With neither wanting to cave because they were getting paid by the mile of track. Oh. And then finally, in 1869, Ulysses S. Grant, he decides that he's going to withhold federal funding until they stop and pick a place to meet. (laughs) So they finally did, and they picked Promontory Summit in Utah. And they met there on May 10th, 1869. Does it say if that was a point where they already met up or where, like, they'd already passed each other? Or did they, like, start looping the track around in, like, swirls to finally... (laughs) Like a modern highway, like the clover things. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I couldn't... I was really trying to find that. I was Googling, like, overshot transcontinental railroad, trying to figure out what it was. Um, But I couldn't couldn't find an exact figure. Uh, Well, you know, we're not historians. (laughs) So I'm sure you've heard of the, the Golden Spike. Yeah. The that golden was... spike that was driven through the railroad to connect them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very exciting. And later stolen. Immediately. Oh, really? <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't think it so. It seems like it would it's be. It's currently in a museum. Because okay. I was going to be like, oh my God, how did it get stolen and get returned? <laughs> well, let me tell you about a little man named Nicolas Cage. <laughs> and his hunt for, for National, National Treasure. Treasure. I recently watched National Treasure last week. Too. It's an okay movie. It's good. Yeah, it's a good movie. There's a reason they made a second one. It was... 22 minutes until there was a woman on screen, though. Mm, that, will... sounds, that sounds correct. But that's not an exact number, but I did keep track because I was like, why are there no women in this yeah, movie? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The first yeah. one, it talks to secretary, but whatever. That's Woo! fine. And the second was like, she's really into history and is a love interest. And gets no credit at the end. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Mm. That's fine. Mm. It was an enjoyable movie. Yeah, no, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. So they had that ceremonial golden spike, Mm. and one of the big four, it was Stanford of the university, was named after his son. You know, uh, Harvard was named after the son of a butcher. Oh. Yeah. A famous butcher? Nope. Just a butcher. John Harvard of Harvard is, this was the son of a British butcher who came to America and made a name for himself. Cool. Yeah, there's a whole story there, but fuck him. 
Okay. Fuck him. Fuck that guy. <laughs> Fuck Harvard. Eat okay. shit, Harvard. All right. That's right. I'm taking swings at Harvard. Uh, even Scott's sister? She seems so nice. 99% of Harvard <laughs> students. Um, so this member of the big four was the first one to try and hammer in the golden spike. And he missed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So then he hands it off to the uh, to Durant. Yeah. He also misses. <laughs> the rumor is that Durant was really hungover from the night before because he was celebrating and he missed it. And then they eventually just pulled over a random railroad worker who was unnamed in all the things that I read. And he just he just put it in for them. It's like when you're at the doctor and they're all trying to do a spinal tap and they've got all the senior doctors doing it. And they just they pull an intern over and the intern does it first try, even though the rest have been doing trying for like three, four hours. Mm-hmm. Intern does it first try because you have to do a million of them a goddamn day. That was a bad afternoon. Oh, anyway. You had to have a spinal tap. Oh, years ago. You think I was just pulling that out of my ass? Yes. Clearly based on personal experience. Well, I had thought it was a little weird because it was that the experienced people were the ones who couldn't do it. Yeah, well, it's it's because they're all senior and they never have to do it because it's a pain in the ass. Oh. Yeah, but then the intern, has he's usually the one who has to do it anyway, and they do like a million a day. So, mm. you know, it's so just like the railroad worker. It's the people who are higher up can't do it because they don't have to do it anymore. Or now, or no, or perhaps never had to. It's the mm. people who are on the ground floor who have to do it every day. You have to call in. Anyway, I didn't have bacterial meningitis, so that's good. That is good. Just a migraine. It was I'm glad bad. it wasn't bacterial meningitis, but it, was, it sucks that it, it was. It was a, a pretty bad day. <laughs> yeah. oh. uh, anyway, go on. Oh, man. I have yeah. so many questions. I'm going to follow up on this I later. Swear. So the golden spike was actually rigged in such a way that when it was finally tapped, it was Smooshed. attached to well gold is relatively soft it's pretty so pretty smooshable yeah <laughs> but it um well it was actually a silver hammer too it was all very ceremonial and there were three other spikes another gold one mm. a silver one and then one made of a mix of silver and gold why uh, i don't know okay I don't so know. a silver one all... a gold one and an, an electrum one yeah <laughs> and they were also Almost immediately pulled up and replaced with actual functional ones. Yeah, that makes sense. They were really... Because uh, it'd be terrible for the job they want to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They'd shear through, like, immediately. So, actually, because the um, the railroads were incentivized to move fast and cover ground more so than the other railroad, a lot of the railroads had to be redone afterwards because mm. the bridges they built and things like that were were not great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just another side effect of when you pay by the mile and then you hire two people coming at it from opposite directions. That seems like a good way to incentivize shoddy workmanship. Yeah, yeah, mm, yeah. You get what you pay for. And in this case, it's miles of shitty track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you want to have a good time laughing at rich people. Oh, always. So this is a quote from Alexander Toppens, also a cool name, who witnessed the... Um, the ceremonial connecting of the lines. He says, I saw the golden spike driven at Promontory, Utah on May 10th, 1869. I had a beef contract to furnish meat to the construction camps of Benson and West. On the last day, only about 100 feet were laid and everybody tried to have a hand in the work. I took a shovel from an Irishman and threw a shovel full of dirt on the ties just to tell about it afterward. A special train from the West brought Sidney Dillon, General Dodge, T.C. Durant, John R. Duff, S.A. Seymour, and a lot of newspaper men, and plenty of the best brands of champagne. Another train made up at Ogden carried the band from Fort Douglas, the leading men of Utah Territory, and a small but efficient supply of Valley Tan. 
I assume that's alcohol. Or do you know what it is? Ah. Okay. It was a very hilarious occasion. Everyone had all they wanted to drink all the time. Yeah, yep, that was probably alcohol then. Mm-hmm. Some of the participants got sloppy, and these were not all Irish and Chinese by any means. That's a bit of a... Huh. <laughs> California furnished the golden spike. Governor Tuttle of Nevada finished one of silver. General Sanford presented one of gold, silver, and iron from Arizona. The last tie was of California laurel. Laurel? That doesn't sound sturdy. Like laurel wreaths? Yeah. Huh. I mean, you know. Well, they took it out again afterwards, you know. When they came to drive the last spike, Governor Stanford, president of the Central Pacific, took the sledge, and the first time he struck, he missed the spike and hit the rail. What a howl went up. Irish, Chinese, Mexicans, and everyone yelled with delight. He missed it. Yee! (laughs) The engineers blew the whistles and rang the bells. Then Stanford tried again and tapped the spike, and the telegraph operators had fixed their instruments so that the tap was reported in all the offices east and west, and set bells to tapping in hundreds of towns and cities. Then Vice President T.C. Durant of the Union Pacific took up the sledge, and he missed the spike the first time. Then everybody slapped everyone else again and yelled, he missed it too! Yow! (laughs) It was a great occasion. Everyone carried off souvenirs, and there are enough splinters of the last tie in the museums to make a good bonfire. (laughs) (laughs) When the connection was finally made, the Union Pacific and Central Pacific engineers ran their engines up until their pilots touched. Like, the people? Pilots as people? It probably means their pilot lights or their things at the top, because it'd be engineers for like the the mm. railroad. Right. But I like to think of it as too many. Yeah, just just just, too, just touch, <laughs> just tap their little noses together. Yeah. Then the engineers shook hands and had their pictures taken, and each broke a bottle of champagne on the pilot of the other's engine and had their picture taken again. All right. If I had read the next sentence, we would have known that pilots are not people. That's why you always read ahead, Jackie. <laughs> And yes, I agree. Pilots aren't people. <laughs> Planes up in the sky, those aren't being flown by people. Mm-mm. The Union Pacific engine, the Jupiter, was driven by my good friend, George Lashes, who lives in Ogden. <laughs> Both before and after the spike driving ceremony, there were speeches. They were cheered heartily. I do not remember what any of the speakers said now, but I do remember that there was a great abundance of champagne. <laughs> Ah, such an old person story. I love it. (laughs) Especially the unnecessary deal of my friend. Oh, he lives in Ogden now. (laughs) So, yeah, that's that's the story of the Transcontinental Railroad. But as a slight aside, so Durant from the Union Pacific Railroad, he was not good at paying his workers very much. So he was actually held up on his way to Promontory by a strike. That was blocking the railroad, and they wouldn't let his train pass until oh. he had paid their wages. And he did. Nice. Good work, strikers. Yeah, it worked. Yeah. And then Brigham Young, who had supplied a lot of the crews for the work in Utah, they didn't have a strike to get their money back, and they went through the courts, and they never got paid. Mm. So the lesson is, hold up the guy's rail car on his way to a ceremony. The lesson is, directly target paid. the fat cats at the top. Yeah, I get it. I get it. That's a good moral. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, the whole moral of the transcontinental <laughs> railroad. <laughs> uh, uh, rich jerks are going to be bastards, so hold them up in rail cars and <laughs> make them pay you. I, th- I think that's actually a pretty good moral. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Exploit Chinese workers. No, Jackie. Oh, I'm sorry. I was... Jackie. <laughs> Jackie, no. Where's the where's the spray bottle? It's the Jackie's bad moral spray bottle. No. <laughs> hey, welcome to the break. I want to just talk to you about a few things, and then we'll get you back on our history. So, first of all, we want to plug our friend's podcast. This is why we're like this. I recently guested on it. In it, Jeff and Julia talk to a guest about a movie that they remember from their childhoods and remember being important to them. And they watch the movie and discuss it. I got to watch The Princess and the Goblin for the first time since I was a kid, a movie I, I used to really love. One. Yeah, me too. Did you watch it on VHS? No, I found it online. Why? Because I have the VHS... And at the end, an older lady dressed up as the grandma character yeah. said, gives a phone number and says that you can call her if you need her. What? Yes. What? Yes. What? It's real. Um, I didn't call because it was... Because you never needed her. Well, the last time... Well, yeah, I, I, I didn't need her. But mm. the last time I did it, uh, it was when self... Last time I watched the movie, yeah. um, cell phones were still new and I was afraid of charges. I get that. So I never called. Also, like, that that phone number is definitely already defunct by then. Because that movie came out in 1992. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, we watched that. We talked about it. It's a movie I really enjoyed as a kid, but it's got a lot of flaws. We had a lot of fun picking those apart and, and, and teasing them about it. So we give them... Wait, what was that called again? It's called This Is Why We're Like This. Oh, I'm going to listen to it. That'll be out when this episode is out, actually. So, and speaking of other things coming out in December, at the end of this month, there will be the first episode of True Tales of the Illuminati, uh, our radio play series that I and Kate, who you may remember from previous episodes, and Eric Grazer, who you don't remember because he's never been on this. Uh, wrote, he's easily forgotten. Easily forgotten. Eat shit, Eric. We love you. <laughs> wrote together. It features Noel as one of the main characters. It is uh, it is a, a podcast sitcom, so it's, it's like a TV show for your ears about the Illuminati and their failures to execute various conspiracies. Uh, and that'll be out uh, end of December. I hope you give it a listen. I'm so, so proud of it. It sounds fantastic, if I do say so myself, and I think it's I, I think it's one of the best things I've ever managed to make. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited to get to share that with you. Finally, if you like this show, why not uh, drop us a review on Apple Podcasts? It really helps us find new listeners. It's like a little shot of espresso every time we read one. You know, it really makes, it, makes our day, makes us feel good about making this, and uh, you know, it's just real nice. So why not drop us one? Uh, and do we have anything else we want to plug? Jackie, anything you want to plug? No, no. All right. No new plugs. Okay. No new plugs? No new plugs. No new taxes. Um, I, I'll wish the listeners a happy Thanksgiving, or I hope you had one. Yeah. When this comes out. Yeah, this is this is going to come out well after Thanksgiving. Okay. We're then, on our way into it. Then happy Hanukkah. Oh, yes. Happy December wishes to all of you out there. Whatever December you enjoy, I hope you enjoy it well. <laughs> yes. And a happy new year. Yes. Let's uh, Let's dive back into the show. Remember that one movie? The one you can't quite remember. You wonder if maybe you made it up. Because it sounds too bizarre to be real. One day, right before Christmas, the dad gets shot? An old man dies and leaves all his money to his cat. There's a siege for whatever reason, and a sexy corn-on-the-cob seduction scene. This kid's hair falls out, and ghosts tell him to put peanut butter on his head, and he winds up getting kidnapped by an evil artist who keeps him asleep and uses his hair to make magic paintbrushes. I'm Julia Rios. And I'm Jeffrey Pelton. We're two Boston-area comedians, and we watch all the movies from our childhood that made us who we are today. For better. Or for worse. 
Come be traumatized with us. Add This Is Why We're Like This on your podcatcher of choice. And subscribe to our newsletter at thisiswhywerelikethis.substack.com so you'll never have to miss a picture of a businessman hugging a pound puppy. Hi, we're back. Did you listen to the break? It was fun. We, we plugged a lot of stuff. TrueTalesTeam.com. And I am going to hop into my story without all those weird throat sounds I just made that I'll edit out now. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> so I am going to be talking about Ferguson's gang. So Was he Scottish? Hmm? Was he Scottish? Who Was Ferguson Scottish? Mm-hmm. Spoiler number one. <laughs> there is no Ferguson. <gasps> What about trust, Max? Is there no trust? Well, here's the thing. They're called, they called themselves Ferguson's gang. There's no one named Ferguson in the gang. Mm-hmm. They had no relation to anyone named Ferguson. Oh, my God. It's like Dumbledore's army. Except Dumbledore's <laughs> army has a clear line to a Dumbledore. He was unaware of it. He was unaware of it, but they were inspired. They knew him. They knew a Dumbledore. <laughs> I mean, everyone There's knows- a Dumbledore active on-premise of Dumbledore's army. Everyone knows a Ferguson. I don't know a Ferguson. Well, you need to meet more people then, Max. I guess. <laughs> Ferguson's, get at me on Twitter, at Max Kreisky. So in the 1920s in England, there was a lot of new development going on. It was like it was the Roaring Twenties even in England, right? And uh, it was after the Victorian era, after the Elizabethan era, you know. But there wasn't a lot of care being taken for the past. Beautiful landscapes were being bulldozed for constructions of roads and suburbs. Historical buildings were being demolished or allowed to decay. Even Stonehenge was in in danger of falling over, of being bulldozed, of being built over. Stonehenge, you know, but the, it's surrounded by nothing. Why would you need to bulldoze it? So they can build a bunch of something there. Just build it around it. You know, Jackie, you'd think so. And, of course, people didn't want to spend money to maintain it either, you know, because mm. that was not the, the spirit of the era. Right. So all these wonderful historical buildings were falling into disuse or being destroyed. There was this gang, Ferguson's gang, an anonymous and mysterious group of women who, inspired by the writing of Clow William Ellis, who wrote England and the Octopus, which was, you know, this, used this great octopus idea as this idea for, um, as this metaphor for... A giant train. <laughs> this metaphor for one giant eight-armed train. <laughs> now, as this metaphor for this insidious force of, like, renovation and development and, um, and just destruction of, like, the nice parts of, like, what it means to live somewhere, uh, like, spreading over the landscape which denounced ugly buildings and incentive development and all the stuff that was just like putting profit ahead of actually having, you know, a country with heritage and history and beautiful places to be. And so inspired by this, they decided to save what landmarks they could. So they were they were active between 1930 and 1947. And it was in and there was an inner group of six women who were known only by pseudonyms, wore masks in every public appearance. <laughs> And only spoke to the public or to people outside of their group in fake Cockney accents. <laughs> <laughs> and so they were inspired by Clow William Ellis. And they're also inspired by the 1927 campaign to save Stonehenge, mm-hmm. which was able to rally the English, you know, English citizenry to raise money to create a national trust for it, to keep it safe and sound and looking nice and all that. And they, they decided if we can do it for Stonehenge, we can do it for this country, right? Mm-hmm. So the six women went by the names Bill Stickers, the leader. Sister Agatha, Kate O'Brien the Narc, <laughs> Red Biddy, 
the Lord Beer Shop of the Gladstone Islands and Mercator's Projection, also known as the Bloody, B-L-U-D-D-Y, Beer Shop, B-E-E-R-S-H-O-P. It's like someone who gives themselves a very elaborate nickname and everyone's just like... All right. Uh, yeah. yeah, the Bloody Beer Shop was, by all accounts, a bit of a show person. <laughs> and finally, just like that. last but not least, Shot Bitty. <laughs> <laughs> These are all great. They're they're great. Which do you identify with more? Do I identify with? This, this list of names reminds me of the internet memes where it's like different types of cereal. Yeah. And then it's like, which tag, one are you? Tag yourself. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Um, I, I got to go with the Lord Beer Shop. You know? <laughs> uh, I'm very pompous. What about you? Um, I like Red Red Biddy. Red Biddy's good. Yeah. I yeah. Red Biddy. I like Bill Stickers a lot too. You know, that with the whole because that's clearly based off of Bill Stickers will be prosecuted, which is even a thing back then. Do you know about this Bill Stickers? I do not. Be, so there's you know there's signs around that say Bill Stickers will be prosecuted, and people used to like paste up handbills on signs and stuff <laughs> for or you know and handbills are like a type of yep. poster, and so people who did that you know the whole thing was like oh if you do this we'll prosecute you so that those signs were around back then. And so, oh, yeah. Bill you may have seen the, the internet meme, Bill Stickers is Innocent, next to Bill, Bill Stickers will be prosecuted. No? no? Okay. Okay. So I I, <clears throat> I have heard of Bill Stickers will be prosecuted, yeah. but I was still thinking of it as Bill Stickers is a person. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Not people who stick bills. Yeah, there's not just signs yes. that were saying this one person will be prosecuted. <laughs> That's what I thought you You better watch out, first. Bill Stickers. <laughs> but I've definitely seen signs that say Bill Stickers will be prosecuted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's... So she took that name from those. That's Which that's were extra great. even in the... Yeah, that's even back great. Then. Mm-hmm. I love it. Right, yeah, a little chef kiss. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now that I know what's behind that, I want to be Bill Stickers. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Stickers was great. So they... Supported appeals to purchase land in Derbyshire, the Lake District, Devon, and Wiltshire. And they uh, enabled the National Trust, through their donations and fundraising, to purchase Shawford Mill in Surrey, uh, Newton Old Hall in the Isle of Wight, stretches of the Cornwall coastline, and Priory Cottages in Steventon in Oxfordshire. So a lot of areas, a lot of places. And in total, they raised over 4,500 pounds over those 17 years, which is the equivalent today of half a million pounds. Wow. Yeah. Which is no small feat. No small feat at all. It's less than a mile of railroad on a rough terrain, though. Well, these are pounds, Jackie, which are worth more than dollars. Pounds sterling. (laughs) British economy is strong. (laughs) (laughs) So... You know, obviously, if they had just been, you know, a gang of masked figures raising money, that would be that'd be great. You know, that's enough. But they went a step beyond because they weren't just trying to raise money. They were trying to raise awareness and they were having fun while they did it. So there were some ways that they delivered money to the National Trust. Yes. So I'm going to give you a few a few of these and you're going to tell me which one of these are fake. OK. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So <clears throat> of, the, of, the, of the following. Wait, how, how many are fake? I'm going to give you sets of two. You're going to pick each from each set of two which one is fake. Okay. Okay? Mm-hmm. So of, of these two, which is fake? They delivered coins inside of a fake pineapple, or they delivered deeds inside of a stuffed cat. I think the coin's in a pineapple. That is correct. All right. Ready for the next one? Mm-hmm. They threw airplanes of money in through an open window, or they put a hundred-pound note in a cigar. 
I think the airplanes is fake. The airplanes is fake. Well done. Well spotted. Well spotted. Thank you. Because that's how, that was in like a women's suffrage thing where they, I forget the story, but there was something where to put in their votes, they just like threw them as airplanes into a room where they weren't allowed in because they were women. Yeah. That is where I got that from. Oh. Well spotted. Nice. Uh, The Lord Beer Shop did a Morris dance into a council meeting and dropped a cookie tin full of coins onto the minister's lap. Or a fully masked red biddy deposited a large sack of Victorian coins onto the trust secretary's desk. I think the first one's fake. That is correct. How are you getting all of these, Jackie? I I just thought it would be really funny because sometimes you're like, what if I did pay for everything in all Utah state quarters, you know? So that's that's the vibe I got for the Victorian coins. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I thought that would be fun, attainable, and not actually a real problem. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Ready for the last one? Mm -hmm. They brought in uh, 500 pounds with a bottle of gin or... They invaded the National Trust office, wearing black masks at the height of the IRA bombings to deliver a canister full of coins. Both are correct. (laughs) This feels like a trick. That was a trick. Both are correct. (laughs) Yeah, so they they invaded the National Trust office for... uh, During... Yeah. Violence times. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's not a phrase. Violence times. <laughs> yeah. For 40, 45 minutes in 1939, wearing black masks at the height of the IRA bombings and left a canister, a mysterious and sinister canister full of Victorian coins. They really liked using Victorian coins for well, some reason. They probably accidentally collected too many the first time and they're like, oh, well, now it's a thing. I got to get rid of all these coins. There's no coins that won't be invented for another 80 years. We can't use them in our personal capacity because then they'll know. <laughs> they'll know it's us. Yeah. No, they won't. Anyone you could use Victorian coins. No, they'll know. They'll know. They'll know. I'll be like, did you know that, that Miss Walsh always seems to pay her bills in victorian coins how suspicious she's about the same height as that bill stickers fella lady (laughs) (laughs) we should prosecute her just to be sure so uh one of the places that they managed to save with their donations was in 1932 they raised enough money to buy shalford mill outright which was part of the godwin austin family estate of the jane austens mm-hmm. uh it was falling down despite that impressive history it was it's a place place that was even mentioned in the dome state book which if you know about that is a listing of nobility and famous places from like the, i think 1500s it's mm. so like a huge it was like a, a big thing that they use today for like historic scholarship mm. so it's falling apart i didn't realize jane austen's family was nobility I think so, yeah. Hmm. I might be talking out of my ass on Jane Austen. No, no, I'm yeah. not I'm not second guessing you. I'm just yeah. surprised. I mean if you have if you have money and time to write yeah, in the seventeen hundreds, you're probably rich. Uh, probably rich mm. uh, and can, you know, if you can read or you know, you're a scribe yeah. or a monk. There's actually a lot of people who can read. Maybe a, an actor. There's enough. <laughs> <laughs> so by the time the gang began raising funds to save it, the mill had been vandalized, tiles were hanging off the roof, and almost every window had been shattered. The repair was a sensitive job that required, you know, deft hand and an understanding of the of the building and also, you know, the ability to shore it up so it wouldn't just collapse on them. And that was overseen by conservation architect John McGregor, who then became an honorary member of the gang, adopting the name The Artichoke as his <laughs> pseudonym uh, and overseeing two other 
conservation projects uh, for Ferguson's gang's acquisitions. So is he the only one whose name is known? So I am getting to that. So Ferguson's gang, you know, didn't just raise these things. They were also a social club. You know, they were a bunch of women who liked each other, who were uh, doing things that women weren't really allowed to do at the time. You know, raising money. Well, you know, flash were, mobs, flat, kind of, yeah, flash mobs, invasions, all sorts of stuff. They um, dressed as nuns and went to the zoo. Uh, they. <laughs> Held all night midsummer night uh, like rituals and solstice rituals. They like went on a naked run along cliff sides, all sorts of stuff. They had a big <laughs> picnic at Stonehenge to celebrate its conservation. Ten years after, like it had, in 1937, they you know got all got wasted at Stonehenge together. <laughs> it's great. They sound like a very good group of friends to get in on. Honestly, that is that is uh, quite <laughs> yeah yeah. They sound awesome. I would I would hang out with them. I would party with uh, Ferguson's gang. I'm not cool enough to hang out with them. Oh, me neither. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be like, are you sure you want to do this? The canister looks a lot like, you know, canisters that hold explosives. I'd be like, oh, it's late, though. I just got to go to bed, Ferguson's gang, (laughs) instead of staying up all night preserving buildings. (laughs) (laughs) So Bill Stickers was the only member to ever reveal their identity. At the age of 93... Margaret Stewart Pallard, who was an Oxford Sanskrit scholar and an official Cornwall bard, passed away in 1996. Her will specified that a letter she had written be published, and it was talked about her time as Bill Stickers. Oh, cool. Uh, And she was the only member of uh, Ferguson's gang to ever be identified Mm -hmm. uh, as yeah, by a name other than the ones they gave. So yeah, so she's posthumously known as Bill Stickers, which I thought I thought was cool. Can you say what her name is again? Margaret Stewart Pollard. Margaret Stewart Pollard. Margaret Stewart Pollard. And she, she sounds like she was a very cool person outside of Ferguson's gang, too. Sanskrit scholar, a bard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A bard in 1996, which is impressive. <laughs> uh, not a lot of bards around. No, 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 no. no. So today, uh, the work done by Ferguson's gang is worth tens of millions of pounds. But even even larger than that is that they put the National Trust, which when they started was a uh, rinky-dink office with hardly any supporters, hardly any funding. They put it on the map. They they raised uh, attention of it. They gave it a lot of its earliest you know places to preserve. It made it into the establishment it is today with thousands of uh, listed buildings across England that it keeps you know in in repair and keeps open and keeps safe for the public. Uh, and it's now, you know, a major force in, in England. If you're interested in Ferguson's gang, uh, if this sounds like a cool story to you, you can get even more in depth by reading the book, Ferguson's gang, the remarkable story of the national trust gangsters by Sally Beck and Polly Bagnall. That wasn't Polydactyl. Hard. Polydactyl. That's right. <laughs> a cat with a bunch of toes. <laughs> Oh, they sound so cool. Aren't yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Big fan. If you could be an eccentric patron mm-hmm. of something, mm-hmm. what would you patronize? Uh, other than what I already do. Uh, <laughs> oh, let's see here. Well, I'm kind of already an eccentric patron of indie comics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know. But do you deliver the funds in entertaining ways? Mm, no, I, I, I'm afraid not. I did convince someone once to take a Canadian $5 bill. Uh, and in payment for something because they were planning to go to Canada, ah. but uh, no, no. Um, let's see. What would I? What would I patronize? What would I patronize? Yeah, I'll say. Let's say. I already say. I always say comic books. That's not fun. Let's say little miniature paintings of dogs. 
Okay. Uh, and I would train a variety of dogs to bring those funds in their mouths <laughs> to to the people who I was paying. Oh, that's adorable. What about you, Jackie? I'm not sure, but I, I do really like that they their eccentricities and like showmanship wasn't them forcing other people to do weird things. No, it was all It was them. just them doing it, which is <laughs> great. It isn't like, well, if you want the funding for that building, then you should learn the polka and do a dance down this hallway before we give it to you. Dance for me. <laughs> now! <laughs> uh, no, yeah, they, they, they did it all for themselves, you know? Although the 100-pound note in a cigar, I feel like is a risky, risky business there. Yes. What if they smoke that note, you know? It's 100 pounds right up in smoke. Well, it's probably wrapped in such a way that you could tell it was a note, I would think. Or rolled, or whatever the phrase is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it was a really fancy cigar. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I would be a patron of, um, like, a zoo or a natural preserve mm-hmm. or a park of some kind, mm-hmm. perhaps. And then I would, um, I would walk in uh-huh. towards I, it. Uh-huh. What, bringing in some of the the creatures that were rehabilitating, sure, all in um, a big line behind you. Yes, yeah. yes, um, yeah. I think I would just make it a very elaborate parade as I bring the animals. Just to like you, just like walking along, like kicking your legs up, raising a scepter as all the mm-hmm. animals walk behind mm-hmm. you. Yeah, and I have a a, a wholesomely sourced peacock feather mm-hmm. that I'm using as a like a parade baton. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The the peacock gave you that feather yeah. in recognition of your help. Yeah. He wanted me to have it. He wanted you to have it. He plucked it out of his uh, tail his, himself, and he, he handed it over to you in his little beak. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a beautiful story. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful friendship, too. Yeah, it really is, you know. Yeah. Yeah, a real, a real Dr. Doolittle friendship. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for us today here at Anachronismo. We hope you enjoyed our show. We enjoyed talking about history with you. I'm Max. I'm Jackie. And this has been Anachronismo. Brought to you by Make Fun Network. <laughs>